Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. Morning, everybody. All right, so we've been we've been trying to drive home a point for a few weeks now. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember now how long ago it was, seven or eight weeks ago, maybe 10 weeks ago, that Sean initially shared with the leadership uh, a, a passion and a new vision that God had put on his heart. And the idea was beyond Sunday. The idea that as a church, Streams Church is all about connecting with Jesus and connecting with others beyond Sunday. And so we've done what feels like a series, but please understand this is not just a sermon series. This is who we are. This is what we want streams to be. This is what Sean's vision is. This is what us as the leadership, when we, when we get together, we want to see us as a church living our faith beyond Sunday. Uh, we've talked about parenting beyond Sunday, prayer beyond Sunday, celebrating beyond Sunday, among other things. So we want to live our faith beyond Sunday. So from there, I'm going to transition. It was September 14th, 1997. 25 years ago last month, my friend Pauline and I decided that we wanted to sneak into the Emmy Awards, the primetime Emmys in downtown Pasadena. I had a friend who had snuck into the Oscars, so if he could do it, I figured I could do it. So she and I got dressed up, and we drove down to downtown Pasadena parked our car on some probably darkly lit street or whatever, and we went around to the front of the Pasadena Convention Center where there's this big red carpeted stairs going up, and there are like legit grandstands on the opposite side, and so we kind of walk up in the grandstands, and there's people out there, and they're cheering, you know, when a limo pulls up, and celebrities get out and walk up the stairs and wave, and they're all cheering, and we're like, this is not good enough, this is not what we came for. So we left, and we went around to the side, and as we kind of cut through a dark parking lot, we come upon this little tent next to the convention center, and I don't know, so this is going to date me, people. This is 25 years ago. Kids, you're not going to know any of these people, okay? Um, Kristen Johnston, I think is her name. She's like the super tall lady that was on Third Rock from the Sun. She's standing there in this tent, smoking, and she's like watching the awards on this TV. And she's about as far away as me and Sean, so I'm like, just kind of come walking in. Okay, I'm going to hang out and be around celebrities. And this was the smoking tent, apparently, for all the celebrities to go to. And security let me stand there for a few moments, and then they finally were like, you're going to have to go. You can't just hang out here. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Thanks. And as I start to go, they decided to be nice, and they said, here, we'll give you a couple souvenirs. And they give us a couple of things, and one of the things was a lanyard with this pass on it. Now, the pass was only good for the daytime, but that's not stopping us. (laughs) So we left, and we went around to the other side, and we come in the back entrance to the post-ceremony. And I remember I looked at Pauline, and I said, all right, we have to just walk in here like we belong. We can't, like, ask permission. We just got to walk in. All right, here we go. So we just start walking towards some double doors, and there's, of course, security at the door. Now, this is, you know, 1997, not the same kind of security back then. And so 
some small little guys kind of standing there, and I just, I decide to make eye contact, but you know, don't be sheepish. And so I just kind of look at them and keep going. And literally, I'm telling you, I, I can picture it in my mind. He goes, uh, mm. He wanted to stop me. <laughs> he really wanted to stop me, but he didn't. And I don't know why. I, I mean, I was dressed nice, and I had this little funky, some sort of pass on my thing. He may have thought I was a writer or something. I don't know. So I just walked on in, both of us. And all of a sudden, bum ba da ba we are now in the post-Emmy Awards area. Only the winners are in here, not the losers. So now... We walk in, and there is food everywhere. There's like a table that has like a bunch of fresh fruit and cheesecake and all kinds of stuff right there. We, um, <clears throat> we of course, grab plates. We're getting some food. It's all free food, right? And then there's couches, and there's different areas to hang out, and there are all these rooms where there's like ABC is in here, CBS is in here, you know, E! Entertainment is in the next room, and they, they just go with their Emmys in hand, room to room to do their interviews. I was close to multiple celebrities. Let's bring up, I think I have a picture here. So we've got, uh, what's that lady's name? Jillian Anderson. She was from the X-Files. Sam Waterston. I got to walk right next to him. That dude is short. He's, well, now she's short too, but so was Sam Waterston. He was from Law & Order. That show's been on for about a century. Um, <laughs> Helen Hunt from Mad About You. And Kelsey Grammer walked right past me. I mean, legit, like this table, the, the Emmy's in his hand, and I'm like, hmm. I mean, I could have just, if I wanted, <laughs> if I didn't care about spending a night in jail or whatever, I could have had Kelsey Grammer's Emmy in my hand for at least a little bit of time, but I didn't, so I just walked past, and I'm like, okay, hmm, that's cool, and so now, we turn to each other after about a half an hour, because we start to get bored, you know, you've seen plenty of celebrities at that point, and so we're like, what are we going to do? And I make the suggestion, we don't leave here voluntarily. We're going to leave because they're making us leave, okay? <laughs> Let's make this worth our while. So now there's a staircase we find. So we go down the stairs, and it's pretty sparse. There's not much down there but this kind of hallway, and there's a couple of people around. So we start to go down the hallway, and then we kind of start to lose our nerve, and that's when we, I think that was our undoing. So we start to lose our nerve a little bit, so I stop, and this guy goes, can I help you? And I said, what's down there? And he said, that's the governor's ball. I thought, ooh, sounds like a place for me to go. <laughs> I should be at the governor's ball, come on. And so then he walks, and he's like, how'd you guys get in here? And I was like, oh, we have our passes. And so I just flashed this pass that expired like at 3 o'clock or whatever in the afternoon. And, and he's like, okay. And then he walks away. And I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> I am keeping this forever. Um, <clears throat> So then we turn to each other and we talk for a second like, are we going to risk it? Are we going to try to get into the governor's ball? That seems like a big deal. But it's not even 20 seconds later and the guy's like, I can hear him 20 feet away on his radio. Uh, Stan, what is the, uh, the little lanyard thing? What's that good for? And I'm like, oh shoot, we're caught. We're caught. And so then we start to walk away from him and he starts calling out, come here, come here, come here. And he goes, those are expired. Those aren't any good. They're only good for the daytime. We're like, sorry, yeah, you caught us. And so he goes, you guys have to leave. And that's it. And so we're like, okay. <laughs> and he's not like escorting us out. And I'm thinking like, crap, how do I even get out of here? And back, and like I said, this is old security times. They're not like, he's not escorting us out. He's just trusting us that we're going to exit. 
So we look un, you know, uncertain where to go. So then he realizes, I should probably escort them out. So he's like, I go, which, I go, should we go up these stairs? <laughs> and he goes, why don't you guys come with me? Okay. So now we're following him. We're like, ah, we've been busted. And so he's, he's asking us questions as we're walking. He's like, so how long were you guys in here? Did you see a lot of people and, and all this? And we're just having a fine conversation. Get up to the top of this little exit area. And he goes, all right, well, hope you had a good time. Then he opens the door for us to exit the building. And where are we exiting the building? At the top of the red carpet stairs that lead down to the limousines <laughs> with the people right across the way. So I just put my hand in my pocket. I look at Pauline and I'm like, hey. Everybody. <laughs> and we, me and her just walk down the red carpet stairs like we're stars. And then we get to the bottom. And of course, there's no town car or limo for us. So then we just make a left and head around the corner <laughs> to get into my Honda Civic and drive home. So that is one of my favorite stories to tell. Why did I tell you that story? Because it's fun to tell, and it's fun to hear. I've had lots of people tell me they enjoy hearing that story. However, I could tie in some biblical stuff, you know, you belong there, pretend like you belong, whatever. I could try to tie in things, but I'm just going to tell you that you have much better stories than that to tell people, and we need to be telling them. And so today, we're going to talk about telling your story. Uh, when we were sitting as a preaching team discussing some of the topics, we talked about the idea of telling your story, and you guys have probably noticed enough times listening to me that... I'm a storyteller, I like doing that. Told you about stealing stuff, told you about all these different things I've done. I like telling stories. People connect with that, and it makes a difference. Um, we need to be telling our stories, and the question is, are we telling those stories beyond Sunday? We come here together, and we tell each other what God's doing in our lives. I hear that every Sunday. I hear in, in conversations, when we, when we have prayer times, different things, I hear people talking about what God is doing in their lives. And I wonder, are we doing that on Tuesday morning at the office? Are we telling our stories about what God is doing in our lives beyond Sunday? So we're going to look at a scripture. 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I feel like Paul is often, or not Paul, I'm sorry, Peter. Peter, he's a talkative person. You guys, if you've, if you've read the scriptures much, you know Peter's like the first one to speak. And sometimes I think he just likes to tell stories maybe like me, or he just talks a lot. The underlying portion is really how it flows for me. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. I think it's important to remember, especially right now in our society, that the gentleness and respect means that there is no judgment in it. When I tell my stories, when I tell someone about what God is doing in my life, I don't, I don't tell them anything that they're doing wrong. I just tell them about what God is doing in my life. I have friends that tell me that they could never go to church, uh, that God would strike them down, this kind of stuff or whatever. And I'm like, I don't get into those conversations. I just tell them about what God is doing in my life. And I try to give them a bit of that same hope. Now, the context of this verse implies that people should be curious about your level of hope. Always be prepared to give an answer for this, you know, exorbitant amount of hope that you have, more than what other people have. It means your life should look different than others. So I started thinking about this. The li your life needs to look different. Um, 
All of our lives look different from one another, correct? So there's a standard deviation, if you will, for any math people out there, of what's still within the norm. What, you know, our levels of hope or, or, or despair and whatnot, our lives are, are, are different from one another, but the difference is not huge and noticeable. The way that this is going to work means the difference has to be huge and noticeable. Now, I'm going to guess that a lot of us don't like being in really perilous or difficult times so that we can display the hope that we have in God. Um, I, I said it, I don't know, I've said it before when we talked about our, I'm sorry, I do this all the time. I'm always like stroking for my beard and then I'll smack that thing. Um, when, you know, everybody wants to see a miracle in their life, but nobody wants to be in a position where they need a miracle. We all want to see God do something amazing, but I would still like for my job and everything to be steady and my income and my kids are safe and everything's good, but then give me a miracle on top of that. Where the truth is, for us to need a miracle usually means we're in some valley. We are in some sort of situation where we need God to come through, and he does. He's come through for us. I mean, I've said it over and over again. You guys, every time I speak, may get tired of hearing it, but the three kids in our lives that he's blessed us with, those are three miracles where God blessed our lives. And I, they all have their own stories, which I'm not going to tell today because we'll be here for a long time. But um, if we want this to be our answer, we have to trust that sometimes we're going to be in those situations. There's other ways, though. So I thought I, I put this as I was thinking about this. Has this happened to you? Can you remember the last time that someone came up to you and said, wow, your life is so different than my life or other people's lives. What is it that's different about you? It happens sometimes, let's be honest. I had a friend, um, when I was in college, I worked at a restaurant called Garfield's. Has anybody ever heard of Garfield's? It's in the Midwest. It's, a, it's like a American like a TGI Fridays or whatever. It's in the mall. You can get inside through the mall or from the outdoor entrance, whatever. And I was a cook in Little Joplin, Missouri. And I worked in the back of the house, and so I'm cooking all the time. One of the waiters, who uh, he, was, he was gay, and he also knew that I was studying to be a pastor at the very conservative Christian college in town. So he probably knew in his mind, or assumed in his mind, that I would be oppositional to his homosexual lifestyle. But he and I still got along great. Because even if I believe that that is wrong, I still cared about this guy. He was a friend. And ultimately, my job is to share the truth with him. So I never was judgmental with him. And it worked out perfect. There was a day that, you know, they got those swinging doors that go in and out of the kitchen. I was on my way out right as he was coming in. And he goes, hey, Tony. He goes, if I died today, would I go to heaven? But we're like, I'm like, what in the world am I going to say for this answer? Because he knew he wasn't going to get the answer like that because we were passing each other. But he just tells me that real quick. So he comes around to me within about a minute later. And, you know, the scripture talks about that. Don't worry about the words you will say. The spirit, you know, God will provide you what you need to say. And I firmly believe that he did that in this situation. When he came back to me, he said, Tony, he goes, so what do you think? I go, well, all I know, I don't get to judge who goes into heaven or who doesn't. So I really don't know. I just know that the Bible's real clear that there's only one way to get into heaven, and that's through a relationship with Jesus. And 
how, I mean, we know each other kind of well. I don't see any evidence in your life right now that you have a relationship with Jesus. That's all I can say. And he's like, hmm, okay. And then he just took that and he walked away. And so I felt like I had done a good job because I gave him some food for thought. And I definitely wasn't judgmental. And he had the chance then to kind of maybe research some more or come back to me with another question later. Um, but as I was preparing for this message, I thought, how many other times has that happened to me where my life is just so different, people know and they have to ask me? It was much harder to come up with more stories. Because the truth is, our lives are not that different. Someone that's close to me, maybe when we were going through our fertility stuff and the adoption process, they might see it. But now, for me, life is normal. So I don't get asked a lot how I'm different. So what is it that keeps us? I, the thing is, well, let's go to this, actually. I want you to consider this thought. Should we be waiting for people to ask us about Jesus? Because ultimately, that's what this, this mindset is. And it was the mindset that I've lived for years. I was a pastor's kid, and I always thought, well, I don't have to be an evangelist. I don't need to be going out and telling everybody about Jesus. Some are evangelists. Some are teachers. Some are whatever. And I was like, that's not, I don't have to do that. Um, I just need to live a Christian life and let people come to me. And I don't think that's good enough anymore. Now, as an adult, I've come to realize that's not enough. Uh, I don't believe it's enough that we live a Christian life in front of others. Uh, we have to tell people what Jesus is doing in our lives. So it makes me think, what is it that keeps us from doing that? So when I was young, what kept me from doing it was fear of being rejected by people that were important in my life. Someone may be on my basketball team. Now, what's interesting is I am not friends with a single person from my high school basketball team. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how to get a hold of any of them. It would be a journey for me to even get onto Facebook, because that's my generation's, you know, um, <clears throat> to get on there to try to find them. Uh, but at the time, when I was 16, I was too worried that I might lose a friend if I talked about Jesus. Unfortunately, right now, I feel like it's gotten harder. I feel like there is a fear today of being labeled or canceled. Um, <clears throat> if I tell people what I believe, if I take a stand for what I think is right, I'm putting myself in a position of jeopardy. So I, I put this on my notes. I didn't say it for you guys. I said, it's time to get real. <laughs> this is the hard part, I feel like, of the message for me. Our current society is not allowing Christians to hold to the truth. This country was founded on the Bible, and Scripture is clear about things like the sanctity of life, about, the sec about sexuality and gender, and about absolute truth. And right now, I feel like our country is at war over these things, internally. I feel like there, is, there are obviously political battles. There are people that are trying to silence Christians. For a year and a half... We were kind of told, hey, don't get together. And now we're back together, but in that year and a half, so much changed that there's, well, if you say that homosexuality is wrong, then you're just homophobic, you're a bigot. And we can't live that way. So I'm not going to preach today like about homosexuality specifically or about abortion, but I'm just telling you, we have to stick with what's in the scripture and we have to start standing up. We have to start doing that right away. 
Please remember that these battles, while they seem political right now, they are spiritual battles. So we're not fighting against other humans. We are fighting against spiritual forces that have influence on humans that are trying to change what we do in our country and in our society and our culture. We can't just go on living good lives and expect the truth of God to be spread. That coworker of mine, that same year after he and I had that very brief conversation, he died at the restaurant on his birthday from alcohol poisoning. I know I could have told him more. So that was 27, 28 years ago. And I still do remember that specific story because I know that I could have told him more. And I didn't because I still kind of felt like I had my moment and he came to me and I'm just living that Christian life. We have to get past that. So again, it's not like a political call to arms, but there is a spiritual call to arms, and I feel like we have to start to change. So let's look at a verse. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Yes. So we don't have that spirit of fear. I, I appreciated, Ryan, that we sang the song this morning. I'm no longer a slave to fear. We don't have that spirit in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The same spirit that helped create everything that we see around us. That spirit is within us. So it doesn't matter what kind of label someone wants to put on me or what my boss or what happens with my job because of me taking a stand for what I believe because I am standing for my God and I am standing with that spirit that does not have fear. That spirit's in me. Um, I want to point out there are three ways. I'm going to give you a short little English lesson here. There are three ways that you can form an argument or an appeal. They are ethos, pathos, and logos. The Greeks, you know, they were the ones that liked to argue. They were the ones, you know, it was, it was where Paul went in Athens to speak to the tomb, uh, or not the tomb, what was it, the, the, the altar to the unknown God. They were all about thinking and, and arguing and trying to prove their point. So they, they have these three words. Ethos is the first one. It's the Greek word that means character. In terms of persuasive language, it's an appeal to authority and credibility. So if my dentist tells me, Tony, you need to floss more. I'm telling you that because I'm a dentist. I've been to school. I understand what happens to your teeth when you don't floss. He has authority and credibility in the advice that he's giving me, in his appeal to me. If my dentist then says to me, Tony, Joel needs to keep his elbow up when he's in the batter's box, and he needs to keep his weight on that back foot, now we're talking about something that, unless you played ball on your way to, you know, dental school, you are not the authority, you don't have the same credibility in that scenario. So ethos is the idea that someone is an expert, they know what they're talking about. Pathos, pathos is a good one, it's the Greek word meaning suffering or experience. It's the idea of trying to appeal to someone's emotions. Um, suffering is actually a really good word, at first I thought about taking suffering off of there, but I was like, no, because suffering really is a great word that helps you understand that idea of emotions. I think everybody in the room, no matter your age, can think of a time where you felt like you were suffering. That's fairly, that's, a, that's common to all of us. So you think about how you felt at that time, that's why this is an appeal to emotions. So even when I get up to speak, um, whether it's here or sometimes at school when I'm not allowed to talk about Jesus, but I'm trying to get people fired up, I try to connect with their emotions because emotions are powerful and it's a good way to 
persuade someone. The last one is logos. Logos is the Greek word meaning reason. And so it's an appeal to logic and reason. Be logical. And so let's look at the verse again. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. Ethos, with power, we have authority. Love, emotion, sound mind, logos. God has given us all three things. That spirit that lives within us has those very three things that we need. And when those times come, much like it, similar to the way it did for me with that guy at the restaurant, you will have a chance when someone will have that conversation with you. Hopefully, we're going to start to become the kind of people that start those conversations more. But when you have those conversations, you will have the answers. The Spirit of God will be with you. He will give you the power, the love, and the sound mind to be able to persuade and convince people about the absolute truth of Jesus. On a side note, I'm just going to say that's really what our problem is with society. This is not in my notes, um, so bear with me for a second. What I'm most frustrated with, and I feel like the battle that's happening in our country right now is really over absolute truth. The idea that, well, what's right for me is this. I'm going to speak my truth. There is no your truth. We all have the same truth. Jesus told Pilate, Pilate even asked him, what is truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. There is only one absolute truth. There are things in this world that we know are right and that are wrong. There are gray areas in the middle, but there is a clear right and wrong. We have to start to, as Christians, recognize that and stand up for the right and wrong. We cannot let everybody blur the lines of what is absolute truth and what isn't. That's just my extra thing. All right. Let me get back to where I was. So we're living in a time right now. Well, this actually fits with what I was just saying. We're living in a time right now when God needs his people to stand up. I'm going to tell you, okay, any Star Wars fans? Good deal, good deal. Um, how about the show Andor? Has anybody watched Andor on Disney Plus? Yeah. So it's a new Star Wars series. It's a little dark. Um, I didn't even let my kids watch it initially because... It's a little dark the way it starts. But in the trailer for the series and in the actual series itself, there is a point where this woman is talking about the rebellion against the empire, and she says she's unwilling to leave this dangerous place. She wants to stay there because she feels like she can be part of the rebellion, and she says people are standing up. That's why she won't leave. And I thought, I feel that sense of pride sometimes when I hear about something, like in Texas, when they had the thing with the, the show, you know, when they had kids there, and then they had huge amounts of Christians that showed up at that drag show kind of thing, and they're like, no, this is not happening in our community. We as Christians have to be that way. And so the exciting thing for me, that, that, that ethos or pathos moment, is that idea of people are standing up. I would love for someone on the other side of the country to hear about Streams Church and people there are standing up for what is right and what is true. So let's look at another verse real quick from 2 Timothy. This is later on in the, in the same book. Um, Paul, or Peter writes, no, Paul. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I do need to point out, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Those are hard. Well, encourage is easy. Maybe. Encourage is great. I mean, I, I don't have, personally, I don't have a hard time with telling people what they're doing well. It's much harder to correct someone 
and even harder to rebuke someone. Those are pretty close to each other, but correction is just like, hey, you probably could do this a little better. Rebuke is a little more like, mm, can't do that. <laughs> so I would even say my position up here today, I feel like I am in a position where I'm trying to correct a lot of us by saying we can't just live that good life and hope that people ask us about Jesus. I think we have to correct that. I'm not rebuking any of you personally. Some of you I'll talk to outside. <laughs> just now, like, nobody's going to want to see me afterwards. <laughs> it's all right. I'll just go out this door and go to my car. Um, <clears throat> no, the, but as Christians, we have to be able to, to have the, the resolve and the strength to correct each other, to correct even sometimes non-believers. Now, I don't expect a non-believer to live a righteous biblical life, but I'm going to make sure that they know what it is. If they're my friend, if they're close to me, it's my job to make sure that they know the truth about God. And part of those truths are what's in Scripture. So I'm going to correct. And there have been times I've had to rebuke. Thankfully, those are fewer. But the encourage is obviously the easiest one. But these are both for people on the other side, in a sense, maybe oppositional to us, or even people on the same side of things with us. But I like the last two, patience, careful instruction. Before I even got to this verse in my planning, I had been thinking about what I wanted to encourage you guys today was I would love for us as a church to be a people who we go out and we are both God's love and God's truth to everyone that we see. If we can be those two things, if we can be his love and his truth, then we're everything that God needs from us. When I go, when I go and I meet someone that has opinions or thoughts that are very contrary to God and to what the scripture tells us about what he, how he feels on certain things, I have to be able to tell this is the truth. It's not, it's not a gray area. This is the truth. But God loves you. And God is a God of mercy. And so God has plans. God has desires for you. And to be able to communicate those in a perfect balance, that's what we need to do. And when I looked at this verse, I thought, patience, that's really kind of like a, a manifestation of love. Careful instruction, that to me lines up with truth. I'm gonna be careful. I'm gonna give positive, careful, deliberate instruction. All right, so I'm gonna invite the band back up, but I want you to stay with me. I don't want you to miss out on this last idea. Love is, love is necessary to be able to communicate God's sovereignty at Streams, we have been praying for revival for, I want to say, like three or four years now, intentionally. I was thinking about Lloyd. I remember for, you know, pre-COVID, Lloyd was talking a lot about revivals and what he had seen, you know, both in our childhood, what we've read in history, what he's seen in other nations, and... As a church, revival became a very important idea that we were calling God for. We want to see revival. I'm going to tell you that as I was preparing this, I thought, that time has come. We are at the gate right now. We are at the door for revival. And the reason I know it is because of everything that we are up against right now. I'm, I turned 50 a couple weeks ago. In my 50 years, I have never in my life seen Christians 
so pushed against. And so right now, we have to take a stand in love and truth. God is calling you and he's calling me right now. And he's telling us that we have to start telling our stories about him and what he's doing in our lives. I'm gonna encourage you today, hear that call and take some time. I wanna challenge you to take some time today to reflect on your life so that you can see what God's doing. Because a lot of times, if we're not thinking about it, we're just living our lives. We need to take some moments and we need to reflect on what's happening in our lives so that we can see what God's doing and then we gotta start telling people about it first thing tomorrow morning. Amen?